Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Double Down, a WNBA podcast. I'm Eric Nemchak, alongside my co-host, Stephen Trinkwald. And Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to get started, Eric. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, too, and I'm excited to get started as well. We've, it's been a long process getting this thing off the ground, um, but we're really looking forward to bringing all this content to you. So for our first handful of episodes, we're basically going to be discussing each of the WNBA's 12 teams, uh, how they performed in 2019, what changed for them over the offseason, including both the draft and free agency, and then what to expect from them going forward when WNBA play eventually resumes. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in alphabetical order, which means that the Atlanta Dream are first up. So without further ado, the Atlanta Dream in 2019, not good. Uh, they were 8-26, which was last place. Net rating, minus 9.7, also last. Offensive rating, which I think is the big, uh, the big standout here, 89.8 points per 100 possessions, which was last by a significant margin. And a defensive rating about middle of the pack, 99.5 points allowed per 100 possessions. I believe that was tied for seventh. Uh, they started the season one and five. They were just never really in the race. They had a really long 12-game losing streak from mid-July to late August. And Stephen, where do you really start with the Atlanta Dream? I mean, there's there's kind of so much negative to cover with regards to the 2019 season for them. Why don't we start off with some of the things they did well, particularly offensively, where, where it was such a slog for them. Um, and we can start with sort of their their bread and butter, right? Nikki Collin wants to run a ton of, of pick and rolls. Uh, number one in frequency, finishing plays through the pick and roll ball handler. Number one frequency, finishing plays through the pick and roll roller. You know, they were pretty kind of average in efficiency in these things. So kind of leaves you to wonder, you know, if you're average at, at this play that you run so often, how are you such a, a dreadful offense otherwise? Being average in, in these play types, uh, you know, they kind of result in sort of kind of middle of the road efficiency from an overall standpoint. You know, the pick and roll, uh, it's, it's a good play that, but overall it's, it's not kind of the most efficient play type. So when you're you know, kind of just average in this particular play and you're running this play all the time and you're really not good at any other sort of uh, offense, then that's kind of, you know, you're, you're going to be uh, unsuccessful in a lot of ways. Yeah, and talking about not being good at any other sort of offense, if you look at basically any of the Dream's advanced shooting metrics, they were last or near last in all of them. True shooting percentage, effective field goal percentage, uh, assist to turnover ratio, they were very poor. Why is that? Well, I think a lot of it just stems from kind of the talent around their three or so good offensive players. Uh, you know, they had a ton of spot up opportunities. You know, that's something where you might um, receive the ball on the catch uh, from someone driving to the lane or, or kicking out from the post. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a shot from the spot up, but it's also, you know, attacking off the closeout or something. And, you know, despite being third in frequency, and this is an opportunity for a higher efficiency outcome, right? Spot up possessions, despite being third in frequency, uh, they were not only last in points per possession here, but by almost 14 percentage points lower than the second tourist team, which, you know, is pretty remarkable there. They never really got out in transition. They were 11th in frequency, 12th in points per possession there. So they, they couldn't get out and run in the half court, you know, also last in points per possession. You know, we hate to kind of uh, beat a dead horse here, but, you know, scoring off putbacks, they were 12th in points per possession. A lot of that has to do with Elizabeth Williams is a great offensive rebounder, but she really did kind of struggle scoring on those putbacks. Uh, over 36% of their total putback attempts 
were by Elizabeth Williams, and she was in the 11th percentile in the league in, in scoring in that situation. So, uh, you know, as a team, they really struggled in the restricted area, 11th in the league in, in points per possession or percentage of points coming from the paint. So just a lot of uh, ugly all around when it comes to the dream offense. Yeah, basically wherever you look at the, the numbers were not favorable. Um, now, as someone who's watched the league for a few years now, to me, the dream have never really been known as like an offensive powerhouse, at least efficiency, efficiency wise, but they've always been able to at least manufacture semi-efficient offense throughout a solid transition game. They, you know, they had, they had the whole run with the dream campaign for, I don't know how many years, but 2019, as you said, they were not able to get that. They were not able to get their pace going. They were not able to get out in transition. So their half court offense, I think was really, it was unbearable, honestly. And it was really tough to watch. It just could no longer be buoyed by that transition game. Now, one thing that really jumped out at me were the assist numbers. Those, those were also very poor. Um, do you think that's like a result of just poor shooting, not enough shot creation, or maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, I would say it's probably a combination. I don't think that the 2019 Dream had a ton of like dynamic passers that, that are really going to you know set up others for you know high leverage assists where you're really kind of creating for somebody else off of you know what it is you're doing with the basketball. Tiffany Hayes can do that a little bit, but she's more of kind of a self-creator um, looking to kind of get her own buckets there. Renee Montgomery, a little overmatched kind of playing that role as a point guard, more of a spot up threat as it's playing alongside like a dynamic creator, like a, a Hayes. And after that, you know, who else would kind of be creating high leverage assist opportunities? Uh, there's not really anyone on the team to do that uh, in the absence of Angel McCautry. So you combine that with kind of the poor shooting all around. You know, I think, you know, 10 players on their team had at least 100 offensive possessions. None of them were in were above the 30th percentile in terms of efficiency outside of their three kind of uh, mainstays in Renee Montgomery, Tiffany Hayes, Elizabeth Williams, everybody else really, really struggled on the offensive end. So I, I definitely kind of lean towards it being a combination of both those things, probably with a little bit more weight towards just the overall offensive talent on the team. Okay. So now when you're, when you talk about overall offensive talents, which players would you say were the worst defenders or which players had the worst offensive seasons? Well, I think you have to start with Alex Bentley, right? She a career high in usage last year with only, you know, about 38% true shooting among the lowest in the league among season-long rotation players, worsening a career-long trend in never getting to the free throw line. Overall, she was one of the worst players in the WNBA last year. You know, Jessica Breland is, is, in my opinion, not really like a starting caliber offensive player in the WNBA. Also took a step back defensively, which we can get into. Brittany Sykes is not an efficient player. The list goes on and on. And even in transition, like they, they weren't that good, correct? Yeah, not only were they not good, 12th in points per possession, but they never even got out and ran. The only team in the league who got out in transition less frequently than Atlanta was Phoenix. And, you know, Phoenix also happened to be number one in points per possession. So, you know, when you never get out and run and give yourself the opportunity to kind of create some easy baskets and you are dead last in scoring in the half court, there's not a, a lot of opportunity to, to be a, a highly effective offense or even an average offense. Right. So basically, wherever you look, the James offensive metrics were not great, not even not great. Like they're, they were pretty horrible. Um, so offensively, there were uh, some strengths by the Atlanta dream in addition to running a pick and roll uh, or running a ton of pick and rolls and, and producing pretty well there. And, you know, as we mentioned before, 
finishing a ton of plays with both the, the pick and roll ball handler and the pick and roll roller. This also resulted in a ton of threes for the Atlanta Dream. They were third in three-point attempt rate on offense, so uh, inching their way to a more modern shot profile. And they also drew a ton of fouls, uh, second in personal fouls drawn per 100 possessions, fourth in free, to- free throws attempted per 100 possession. And a lot of that was driven by their, their two best players, Tiffany Hayes, uh, driving to the basket, leveraging that foul-seeking behavior, using her body to put the defense in a tough spot. And then Elizabeth Williams also rolling to the hoop on those pick and rolls, crashing the board for offensive rebound. She's a great offensive rebounder. Both of those players were well above average in terms of the league free throw attempt rate. And then uh, Monique Billings and, and Nia Coffey in, in smaller roles also you know, were really good at uh, getting to the free throw line. So um, definitely worth mentioning just in terms of those particular offensive strengths for the Atlanta Dream. It wasn't all negative, uh, but most of it was. Right. And like, I don't think there's any question about the Dream's athleticism or their physicality. And I think that's one instance in which their, uh, like their physicality and athleticism were able to basically shine through and, and provide them with some strengths. But overall, you're right. I mean, the overall offensive production was unacceptable. Now let's talk about their defense. Like when the dream made that improbable run toward the, uh, towards the, almost the WNBA finals in 2018, they were carried by their defense. Now I thought they kind of overachieved that season, probably mostly because their defense was so good, especially in the half court. Now this, uh, this past season in 2019, their defense was okay. It wasn't as bad as their offense, but it was still a significant step down from where they were in 2018. Tell us a little bit about where they were defensively. Yeah, you mentioned it. You know, I think they probably do have better defensive talent than offensive talent, but I would also say, you know, just about everybody on that team took a step back defensively last year. You know, there, there were some good things that they did well. They allowed the second best points per possession allowed in transition, but, you know, they also allowed transition opportunities more frequently than any other team. So, you know, even if you're doing a good job in limiting those opportunities, if you're giving them up so frequently, you're still going to put yourself in a tough situation because those are just by nature, um, high efficiency play opportunities for opposing offenses. You know, they were only around average in turning the other team over. Uh, They were seventh in the league in in terms of creating turnovers. They did allow the third lowest field goal percentage in the restricted area. You know, Elizabeth Williams is a great team defender, probably a better team defender than, you know, someone who's going to shut down the best low post centers in the game. And, you know, they were average in proportion of their threes allowed coming from the corner. So, you know, they, they like to play a, a lot of conventional pick and roll defense and they're Half-court defense wasn't terrible, but they just gave up so many transition opportunities that they really compromised everything else. So would you say that the scheme was good? I think the scheme was good, but they also were not playing a lot of... I mean, I did mention a second ago that, in my opinion, they have more defensive talent than offensive talent, but... You know, the defensive talent still wasn't great. Um, Renee Montgomery is not known as a stopper. Um, Brittany Sykes, more of a, you know, defensive playmaker than a consistent uh, defensive option kind of play in and play out. And Jessica Breland, I thought, also took, you know, a, a real significant step back from kind of her reputation as a, a 2018 all-defensive player. Yeah, I think Breland in particular was one of the bigger disappointments of the 2019 season. Um, going back to her days in Chicago, I was a big fan because she was just such a great defender and, She's very long, very versatile. Uh, she could, you could do, change up a lot of things in your scheme when she was on the floor. But yeah, she definitely took a step back in, in 29. If we could maybe just take a, a little bit more of an examination towards kind of Jessica Breeling, because I think, you know, that was one of the significant factors in the defense being, you know, so much worse than, than the previous season. She really struggled as a post-up defender. 
uh, the 18th percentile in terms of efficiency defending the post, really kind of struggled guarding the pick and roll. That step back, uh, along with her not being a starting caliber offensive player and, and playing, you know, pretty major minutes for this team, I, I think was a large factor in them not being able to produce defensively the way they did last year. And then you look at the bench as well. I mean, what what bench players for the Atlanta Dream do you think have do you think of as, you know, really solid defensive players? I would say none of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and you know, Alex Bentley, sixth on his human minutes. Yeah. She's not known to get stops. You kind of just go down the list and Monique Billings, she's uh, a talented player, an elite rebounder, but you know, not known for necessarily her her one-on-one defense or her team defense for that matter. So now I, we're going to get to Billings later. I think in my opinion, she has the tools to become a better team defender, but you're right. Like in 2019, there was just not enough talent there on, on either end of the floor, to be honest with you. So let's, uh, is, is there anything else you want to really address on the defensive end before we get moving on to what the dream did in the off season? Well, I think in a lot of areas in 2020, they are going to improve, but uh, and maybe this can kind of be a segue into one of their acquisitions. But, you know, defensively, they were 11th in total rebounding. They were 11th in defensive rebounding. I, that is one area where I don't really see the dream necessarily improving all that much. And I think, you know, that that is an opportunity for opposing teams to really kind of feast on the offensive boards uh, and obviously, you know, create extra possessions. So that's kind of something to to keep your eye on with this team. All right, so let's get into free agency. Um, the Atlanta Dream, they were one of the more active WNBA teams in free agency. Um, they lost their franchise player, Angel McCautry, signed with the Las Vegas Aces for a pretty hefty deal. Now, Angel McCautry, she has, I don't think it'd be a stretch to say she's carried the dream during her time there. Definitely one of the better players in WNBA history. She really embodied that whole run with the dream mentality of pure aggression and physicality, and teams couldn't keep her out of the paint. She was a great scorer. She was, I think, a better distributor than people give her credit for. What exactly are the Dream losing in Angel McCautry? Well, that's tough to say what they're losing in terms of the current version of Angel McCautry. You know, I think it's fair to wonder sort of what she has left. You know, I think it's understandable to kind of, from an organizational standpoint and from Angel's standpoint, to, to kind of move on. You know, there are not many players in the WNBA that you really associate with the franchise as much as Angel McCautry in the Dream, but it's kind of a situation where you have to see what she has left. So, I mean, what they're losing, of course, is their franchise icon and someone who, you know, has brought them a ton of postseason success. So, I mean, do you think it was the right decision to let her go? Do you think she still has something left to give? Um, I think she still has something left, but the roster is currently constructed. I don't think was going to be competing for a title anymore. So if you're looking to basically rebuild the roster, which, you know, we're going to get into, they, they made a lot of moves to rebuild the roster. I think it would be the right decision letting her go. Like you said, we really have no idea what kind of a player Angel McCoy is anymore. You know, she's on the wrong side of 30 for a player with that, whose game is that dependent on athleticism. You know, you know, that's, it doesn't hang around forever. So that's something, that's something to definitely keep an eye on. What's her role going to be in Vegas? Nobody knows. But they also lost Alex Bentley, which uh, we already discussed. Maybe addition by subtraction. You know, I, I think so. It seems more likely than not. You know, Alex Bentley has a, a good opportunity maybe to get a late camp invite or sign with the team as an injury replacement midseason. But I think for the dream, it was time to move on. Um, just a highly sort of destructive player for, for her team last year. We mentioned kind of, at least in my opinion, one of the worst players in the league last year. Or so, And I think they replaced her shot creation with, with other players. So I don't think it's going to be something that's really missed, like even in terms of the skill set. 
So yeah, I think addition by subtraction is fair. Right. I mean, just, just that massive usage going to more efficient players that in itself will make the team more efficient, I believe. And also along those same lines, Jessica Breland traded the Phoenix Mercury. Do you think she has anything left? I don't really think that she's a starting caliber player. I think, you know, we can probably get into this a little bit more in the Phoenix episode, but I think it's going to be a tough fit with her and Griner, uh, a real opportunity for other teams to double off of Jessica Breland and give Brittany Griner all the attention in the world. So I think she can still help a team in the right situation. I'm not sure being the starting power forward for the Phoenix Mercury is the right situation. Especially offensively, right? Because she's yeah. just, yeah. Okay. Um, also traded to Phoenix Mercury was Nia Coffey. And this is an intriguing player to me because Nia Coffey, you know, I watched a lot of her in college and I, I thought she was intriguing as a, pro, as a pro prospect, but I'm not really sure where on the court she best, she's a, like most useful. Is she a three? Is she a four? I don't know. What, what, what do you, what's her take on that? Well, let me throw it back to you because I have really kind of, um, I'm, I'm not really sure what to think of Nia Coffey. I don't know really what her defining WNBA skill is. She really just started taking threes last season and hit them at a good percentage at a really low volume, but doesn't really convert any of her two-point shots, can't really make any free throws. So I'm more inclined to think that that percentage is fluky. You know, it was only about like less than 60 attempts, if I remember correctly. Um, and like I said, did hit it at a good percentage. But when you're kind of a career 60% free throw shooter, you know, you have to wonder if, if that if that three-point shooting is going to kind of keep up when, when you increase the volume. Otherwise, you know, I'm not really sure kind of what, like I said before, what her defining WNBA skill is, or if you're just kind of relying on her to be like a, a jack of all trades and just do a little bit of, of everything to, to kind of carve out a spot in a rotation. Right. I mean, I agree with you on that. She's Nia Coffey, in my opinion, is a player who needs to be going downhill. Like, I don't think she's going to be a very effective half-court offensive player. I think her decision-making needs to improve. Not sure if she's ever going to be a good three-point shooter, but, you know, she's a player who I think she, def- she definitely has the physicality. She's got the big body. Um, I think she can do some damage on the offensive glass in particular, but for this dream team, which, you know, has a, a major lack of outside shooting, this was just another problem for them. So, I, if I was a Dream fan, I wouldn't be that sad to see Nia Coffey go. Now, how about Brittany Sykes? She was traded to the Los Angeles Sparks. She's another player who's a terrific athlete. But like you said, her shot profile was not that great. Yeah, uh, really likes to take a lot of long twos off the dribble. She probably was Atlanta's most aggressive transition player. But as we'll get into in a little bit, I think they have improved in that area with, with more efficient players. I do think Brittany Sykes has the athleticism to be a force in transition, but maybe just doesn't have the touch yet to kind of finish at full speed over traffic is not the best decision maker in those situations. You know, she can be a pretty decent straight line driver with the right hand, you know, doesn't have any real shake off, off the dribble. Um, And as I mentioned before, you know, the defense is just too inconsistent, Um, a ton of gambling. So, you know, you have to really wonder if she's ever going to kind of, um, turn that around and you know I think she has the athletic potential to be a solid defender but we haven't seen it no and and I know uh part of the reason why her minutes were so inconsistent under Nikki Collin was that she was really not able to provide that consistent defensive presence she just wasn't able to you know lock down and she she would gamble a lot she would and for a player like that I mean that fine but the dream just didn't have the talent surrounding her to really cover for that mentality now moving on to the fun part the dream really loaded up in free agency. I think it's fair to say they're still in win now mode based on the, some of the moves they've made. Let's start with 
Courtney Williams, one of your favorite players from the Connecticut Sun. She was acquired in a sign and trade. How is she going to help the Atlanta Dream? Well, I think she's going to help in a variety of ways. I, I know you're a little tongue-in-cheek when calling her one of my favorite players, but it's an <laughs> obvious talent upgrade, right? She, Courtney yeah. Williams is someone who is able to kind of get you buckets. A frustrating shot profile, of course, takes a ton of mid-rangers and can hit them for sure. She's a tough rebounder for her size for a team. You know, I'm not sure if she's going to be able to turn their rebounding around, but, you know, she really goes out of area to get rebounds a lot, and it's something that I think is an underappreciated aspect of her game. Probably a little bit of an underrated defender, if maybe an inattentive one, off-ball at times, um, as I mentioned recently on, on Shay's show. Besides the, the actual, you know, shot profile, of Courtney Williams. I think one kind of damaging aspect of her game is that, you know, when she's spotting up away from the ball, it's often in the short corner, a step or two inside the three-point line. And that really just kind of shrinks the floor for the rest of the offense. Um, So, you know, it's one thing to kind of create the long twos off the dribble, but I think spotting up from long two can, can be even more damaging for your offense as a whole. But, you know, she is a much better player than what she is replacing in either Brittany Sykes or Alex Bentley. So, you know, her shot profile leads to a well below average free throw attempt rate, but, you know, she is a good pick and roll player. I imagine she's going to be running a ton of pick and rolls in uh, Nikki Collins system. And, you know, the way I would kind of like to see her utilized is, you know, staggering her and Tiffany Hayes as much as possible, you know, maybe start them together, finish halves together and keep one of them on the floor at all times in those in-between minutes as, as much as possible to give them consistent, at least shot creation, you know, for 40 minutes. Yeah. She's going to be starting. There's no doubt about it. Courtney Williams to me is one of the more interesting players in the league because you look at the you look at the shot profile and she's like, oh, this is this isn't good at all. But she is definitely one of the better players in the league at just making tough shots over and over again. Granted, I'm not sure how much you can actually put into shot creation when that creation ends in a long fadeaway two pointer. I really, for a player with her athleticism, I really, really, really want to see her getting to the rim more often and increasing that free throw attempt rate. Also, you know she can shoot the three. She needs to be shooting more threes. I, I think we can both agree on that. But it's going to be interesting to see how that plan, how that pans out between her and Tiffany Hayes. Yeah, and I think even if you know you you kind of don't love the shot profile, just the sheer talent upgrade and the the necessity to have to guard a Courtney Williams. I mean, that alone is going to improve the offense and make things easier for for Tiffany Hayes, for Elizabeth Williams. Uh, you know, it'll kind of move Renee Montgomery down the pecking order a little bit in terms of the the offensive burden that she has to take on, which I think will be a good thing at this point in her career. Without a doubt. And now let's move on to another ex-Connecticut son who will definitely be complimenting the talent that the Dream has very well. Jaquina Strickland, signed as a free agent, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. And Steven, you really like this move. Yeah, I think this is a, a great opportunity to kind of open things up make life easier for for the rest of the players. Shakina Strickland is someone with immense gravity. You know, she'll run um, off screens, you know, run off pin downs, kind of bring a defender or two with her when she's coming around those screens. So, you know, she kind of has, oh, no gravity, you know, when she gets an open look. So I think she's really going to complement the, the skill set well in terms of opening things up for Courtney Williams creating in the pick and roll, opening things up for Tiffany Hayes creating in the pick and roll. And, and of course, the, the bigs down there doing their stuff as well. So, you know, it, it does kind of look right now like she's going to come off the bench, but having, you know, two really solid three-point shooters that, that are going to take them pretty often in Strickland and Montgomery in your top seven or eight, you know, is a huge step up from where they were last year. Yeah, and I don't think there's any question about it. Three-point shooting was a sore need of the Atlanta Dream, and they got probably the best three-point shooter on the market, so kudos to them. Now, here's another one. Glory Johnson signed as a free agent. 
We assume that she's going to be starting at the four. Her game has evolved a little bit over the years. You know, she came into the league as a bull in a china shop, very aggressive, used her physicality, like to throw elbows around a little bit, solid rebounder. Um, that mentality I don't think has changed that much, but she's added a bit of an outside shot. So what do you think this means for the Atlanta Dream? Yeah, I'm curious to see if her three-point attempt rate continues to climb. It has kind of gone up incrementally year after year. So, you know, she's probably not the defender that Jessica Breland is purported to be. You know, not an amazing sort of uh, offensive player in terms of creation. So, I mean, what, how do you see her complementing this starting lineup and kind of the, the rotation as a whole? Well, personally, if I was a defense, I would still let Gloria Johnson shoot from the outside if yeah. all she wants. Um, but she will be able to provide maybe a little bit of more of a spark than Breland did. The activity level is still off the charts for her. And she's somebody who can go get a board. Um, and then maybe we can talk about this later. I know we have some thoughts on this. She can also back you up at the five and maybe a bit of a smaller lineup. But overall, I mean, I think, once again, this is a clear talent upgrade. How she's going to fit in there schematically, we don't know. But she is definitely someone who's going to demand, you know, 26 to 28 minutes per game and make the most of them. So can't be bad. Sure. Um, what, what do you think about the shift defensively from um... – Breland at this age to Gloria Johnson? Uh, well, you know, I guess that, that begs the question, was Breland's 2019, is that who she is now? Yeah. You know, I mean, she did play a lot of minutes. And like you said, she was not as effective of a defender as she was in the past. I still think Breland is much better as a positional defender than a one-on-one post defender. Sure. Not sure if Gloria Johnson is, is that, because um, she's a player, another player who likes to gamble, um, you know, use her athleticism and instincts to try and, you know, uh, make a big play rather than the right play. But if Gloria can play within the system, I have no problem with it. You know, I, clearly this is, this is a talent upgrade. And even if she isn't what Jessica Breland is purported to be, as, as you like to say, on defense, what she brings on offense and rebounding, I think will offset that at, at the very least, if not make it negligible. Yeah, for sure. So so those were kind of their their big improving for 2020 moves. Of course, they made a, a big move in terms of their future with the number four overall pick. What do you think Kennedy Carter is going to bring to this team? Kennedy Carter was probably the most one on, uh, talented one-on-one scorer in the draft class. She has a ball-dominant mentality. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works out with Atlanta because they also have some players who really need the ball in their hands to be effective. However, she's also a better distributor than people give her credit for, I think. During her years at Texas A&M, she was the leading scorer and the leading distributor pretty much every season. There is no doubt that Kennedy Carter can get into the lane and can dish it out. So what I'm looking for her to become is more of that drive and kick sort of player. We know she can create shots, but like some players that are already on the dream roster, a lot of those created shots ended up in fadeaway long two pointers, not the modernized shot profile that the team is trying to get towards. So I think she's going to come off the bench at first, maybe be kind of a microwave type of player, somebody who can get hot in a hurry, hit a few shots, really feast against opposing benches. Excuse me. But in the future, I think they are looking at her as a long-term point guard solution she's going to need to learn how to run a pro offense first. Sure. So with that kind of game uh, being said, do you think kind of what I was saying earlier about, 
you know, staggering Courtney Williams and Tiffany Hayes as much as possible makes sense for a team with Kennedy Carter? Or do you kind of give Kennedy Carter the keys to the the second unit and kind of have her bear the burden of creation with, with bench players? Uh, I think you could go either way. You know, if you're talking about the burden of creation with bench players, you got a pretty good shooter in Shakina Strickland, right? So that's already going to help Kennedy Carter a ton. Then if you're staggering your post players, you might have her playing alongside Glory Johnson. If Kennedy Carter can draw two defenders in the paint, you know, and, and kick it to Glory, that's that's an easy two points right there for a layup. So you can go either way. Kennedy Carter, you are going to be able to rely on her for some bailout offense. But long-term, speaking long-term here, when Renee Montgomery eventually leaves or retires or what have you, Carter will be the starting point guard. So it depends on how Nikki Khan wants to balance, you know, uh, current competitive level and future development. I think Kennedy Carter will be a star starting point guard in the league, but it's just a matter of how quickly they want to kind of bring her along into that role. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. In in terms of like where you see her maybe in terms of like the end of the season, do you think it's like very likely, not very likely in, that she will uh, supplant Montgomery as the starting point guard or continue to to serve as a sort of like a that spark plug off the bench? Yeah, I think it's likely that she'll supplant Montgomery, especially if they are not really in the playoff hunt anymore. And we're going to talk about where we think the Dream are going to be later on. But she's going to need to get her feet wet. Point guard is a difficult position to learn in the WNBA. Most would say it's the most difficult. And she's coming from a system in which she was pretty much given the keys to the car for the full 40 minutes. That's not going to be the case here. Again, she's a ball-dominant player. She's going to need to learn how to play without the basketball a little bit more especially playing alongside Tiffany Hayes and Courtney Williams. If they can gel, though, like we're thinking like Atlanta is going to have one of the most exciting backcourts in the league because of Kennedy Carter, because of Courtney Williams, because of Tiffany Hayes. It could go either very poorly or very well. And depending on how quickly they are able to really gel, I think you'll see her in the starting lineup sooner rather than later. By the end of the season, for sure. And then that, that also goes back to Renee Montgomery. You know, what is her ceiling? We already know what Renee Montgomery is at this point in her career. She's a game manager. She's a spot-up shooter. She gets the basketball where it needs to go, and that's pretty much it. I think Kennedy Carter provides much more in terms of upside, much more in terms of of dribble penetration, maybe a little bit of a better of an on-ball defender as well, although rookies certainly take their lumps for the most part in that department as well. So I think she'll come off the bench initially, but towards the end of the season, I think she'll be given the keys to the offense. Cool. Uh, where do you want to go from here? Well, they also acquired Kalani Brown in a trade from the LA Sparks, and you have some thoughts on her, don't you? Yeah, I looked at Kalani Brown in preparation for this show. I think what they're getting in her is someone who has the potential to be a really uh, solid backup center for them this year, uh, you know, even at a young age. Some troubling defensive mechanics. I thought those were a little shaky, but maybe that's to be expected for, for a rookie center. You know, the effort in defensive transition, I thought was a little troubling at times. You know, offensively in transition, I think she does run the floor pretty well. She's an extremely left-handed dominant player. Almost half of her shots that were blocked were right-handed, and she almost never goes righty. So I think that really kind of speaks volumes for for her effectiveness kind of using, or her ineffectiveness, I should say, using kind of both hands. In general, she really just can't score from the right side of the basket at all because she'll still go you know, with the left hand, um, which just makes for an easier contest, or she will use her right hand, which just doesn't go in. I don't really love her back to the basket game in general. I think she is better as a roller. You know, she's an effective uh, roller, at least kind of with the the great passing that LA had to offer. We'll see 
you know, how well she does as a roller in Atlanta, but she's also really good as an offensive rebounder, maybe not like elite level offensive rebounding, but she's pretty good and, you know, can really um, put the defense in a compromising position in terms of giving up a foul there. Uh, she's pretty good at putbacks. So I think one thing about um, her her game that I saw a lot of teams do is you just absolutely like cannot front Kalani Brown because she's, she's so much better at using her body against fronts than she is, you know, in a, a back to the basket situation. So, you know, she doesn't have amazing touch near the basket, only around like 54% within, you know, five or so feet. That's kind of like Bree Jones, Rashonda Gray territory. You know, most offensive you know, quality offensive centers are in the mid to high 60s and she will get her shot blocked a decent amount. But I think she has an opportunity here to, to really kind of solidify herself as, as a solid backup center, particularly offensively. You know, she has the size maybe to, to improve defensively um, and be a rim deterrent. But I do think we'll need to see some significant steps forward that, in that department. Uh, what, what did you think of Kalani Brown's rookie season? For me, it was a little hard to judge just because there was so much going on in that LA front court. I don't think she maybe got the best opportunity, especially with the emergence of Maria Vidiva, who was really, in my opinion, turned out to be a terrific post player. Um, but I mean, I think you're right on with most of what you said about Kalani. She does need to uh, get in better shape. She needs to finish at the rim better, which I was a little disappointed at. You know, you look at a player like that with that body, who's six foot six, six foot seven, something along that, those lines, and you would expect someone who is like an automatic bucket at the rim every single time. But she seemed to me to kind of play smaller than what she is which is kind of an issue because it negates the whole point of being a six foot six center you know you expect someone with that size to be a stopper and on the offensive end guaranteed bucket at the rim every single time on both ends of the floor she was a little shaky especially going up against premier centers right yeah for sure i think she um you know can kind of get bodied a little bit by some of the the bigger starting centers in the WNBA. you know liz cambage and tiara mccowan in particular you know really kind of put her in the goal a few times so i know they invested in centers kind of elsewhere do you see kalani brown as the backup center do you think it would be more likely to be her or maybe a Brittany brewer or an elena coates what, what direction do you see that going in for atlanta um, and this is going back to the point I made about Glory Johnson and the small ball lineup. Oh, yeah. Glory is a player who has had the experience playing in a small ball lineup before as the backup five. And that would definitely fit the transition mentality that we think the dream need to play with. However, with Kalani Brown, you do have the size. And I'm certainly not ruling out a second year player with her pedigree, turning the corner and becoming either a better defender or a better offensive player or both. So I guess it just depends on what look you what look you want to give the offense and the defense. You know, if you're playing a a very large team, for example, the Las Vegas Aces, or you know going up, going up against Brittany Griner in Phoenix, I'm not sure how much you can afford to play Glory Johnson at the five. You're probably going to need Kalani Brown just just for size's sake. I mean, we we did say that she gets she gets kind of pinned down there by bigger centers, but six foot six is six foot six. You need to give her a chance, and. Given that they traded for her, they invested in her, I think at this point you have to pencil her in as the backup center. It's going to be situational again. Like if she keeps uh, being out of position on defense and, you know, she defending in space is a huge issue for her. If that becomes an issue, if teams are consistently able to put her in mismatches where she can't really recover in time, then I think you're going to need to look at a minutes restriction. But, you know, again, it's an investment. Centers coming from the NCAA typically take a year or two to really develop because they're used to just running rim to rim. You know, okay, post up, then run back, defend the rim. Okay, then run back, then post up. You know, there's a lot more that goes into it at the WNBA level. Kalani Brown is still learning. 
obviously. And LA, I don't think was the best situation for her as far as that's concerned. Now you do, you did mention, which I think is a good point, the amount of passing with the Los Angeles Sparks. Definitely a downgrade for Kalani Brown coming to Atlanta. But I think, I think, I think she'll still get her fair of easy buckets, her fair share of easy buckets, thanks to the dribble penetration of someone like Kennedy Carter or maybe someone like Tiffany Hayes. You know, I think Hayes has the ability to become a better distributor as well. So we'll see what happens with Kalani. I think you can probably pencil her in as a backup five. I'm not sure how many minutes she's going to get, but she'll get her fair share. Yeah, and one other thing just on Brown before I move on, I think she, you know, she gets to the free throw line a decent amount, and I almost think that she's still really not officiated fairly. You know, she does kind of get um, get hit down there a lot by smaller players when she is specifically like fighting for putbacks and going over, going off for offensive rebounds. So uh, maybe as she kind of uh, establishes herself as more of a veteran in the league, she will even get to the line more than she did last year, which was uh, a really encouraging uh, frequency. That's entirely possible. Okay, now looking at the depth chart, one player in particular I'd like to address is Monique Billings. You look very extensively at at Monique Billings' game uh, recently. What are your thoughts on her? You know, I'm not really sure what to make of Monique Billings. She's obviously an elite rebounder, seventh in offensive rebound rate, fourth in defensive rebound rate, you know, third in total defensive rebound rate. I tried to figure out what makes her so good at rebounding, and it's really a combination of things. You know, she's obviously very athletic, uh, getting off the ground and going to get the basketball. She has really good hands. She'll really go out of area to get the basketball, rebounds with a ton of motor, maybe gets away with some push-offs here. Mm -hmm. Um, But offensively, I think there's kind of a lot to shore up in her game. I I don't really like her face-up game or her post-up game. Those are not very efficient tools for her. A lot of her turnovers, uh, about half of her turnovers came from a combination of uh, trying to create off the face-up or, you know, offensive fouls, moving screens. Uh, You know, she turned it over in like 27% of her post-up attempts, granted on on pretty small volume, but, you know, she's more of kind of a system bucket getter as uh, a cutter and an offensive rebounder. She was fairly efficient as a roller, would like to maybe see a little bit more of that in some backup units, I guess. But even still, I think Kalani Brown is probably a, a better pick and roll roller there. So she doesn't really have great efficiency you know, as a cutter or offensive rebounder, but the frequency is encouraging enough that I would like to kind of continue to see her focus her, her offensive game more there than like the face-up stuff and, and, you know, trying to post often larger players. And, you know, with, with Billings, I, I want to go back to my point about the transition from the NCAA to the WNBA. She's another player who, you know, just beat the heck out of opposing teams just based on her, just because of her athleticism and because of her natural physical gifts. I think for her to really go beyond that situational player role or that backup for a role, she's going to need at least one really dependable offensive move. You know, she, she likes to step through, but that not really that effective right now. Um, maybe like a, a, a baby hook or a, or a quick, some sort of quick move like that where she can really take advantage of her, her quickness. But as of right now, I'm not sure how many minutes she's going to get, especially with Glory Johnson and Kalani Brown. And we're assuming a fifth post, a fifth, post player in that rotation too. I think she's very good at what she does, which is rebound the basketball, obviously, and also get away with (laughs) push-offs. But other than that, she does need to, I think, expand her game a little bit more in order to warrant a larger role. That's interesting because I kind of, in my mind, had her like sort of shooed into that backup power forward spot, but you seem to be maybe less optimistic or or just that it's it's less of a certainty. Well, no, no. I, I think she'll still be the backup power forward. It's just that she might not to be might not need to be used as much okay. with the, with the addition of Glory Johnson. Is that fair? Well, yeah, sure. And um, 
you know, I think that might be a, a positive if that turns out to be the case. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk about system bucket getter. Hey, maybe all this new dribble penetration will benefit Monique Billings as well. She'll get more opportunities for offensive putbacks. I mean, that can only help her, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we kind of went over their, their major, the James major acquisitions, their major losses. Let's look forward to 2020 a little bit. Now, I think Atlanta, they had one of the more exciting off seasons in the league. Will their production match the hype surrounding this team? What do you think? Well, I think they're going to be good. You know, I don't expect them to contend for a championship, but I think they are, you know, firmly between probably the sixth best team and the, and the ninth best team in the league, you know, probably closer to the higher end of that. Uh, you know, they're going to pick up the pace. I think their offense improved a lot and they didn't really give up much defensively to kind of do that. So, you know, overall, they just had talent upgrades at, at so many spots that obviously they're going to be better than the last, the worst team in the league. But I, I do think they're going to, going to be a solid playoff team, you know, in that probably third tier of teams, you know, with, with Chicago, where you don't really expect them to compete for a championship, but you can kind of pencil them in for the playoffs as long as, you know, nothing catastrophic happens. Right. It's a pretty low bar that the dream set for themselves, but I think they're, they're in a good position to return to contention at least. Will the team's shot profile be acceptable? You know, we talk a lot about Courtney Williams' shot profile, not good. Tiffany Hayes' shot profile, eh, you know, Kennedy Carter is going to need to modernize hers a little bit. Gloria Johnson may be trending that way, but not great yet. Will the shot profile or will the talent rather, if the shot profile is not good, do you think the talent will be able to overcome that? Well, I think overall as a team, I guess specifically with Carter, Courtney Williams, Tiffany Hayes, these are players that are, are good at hitting tough shots. So I think even if their shot profile maybe gets worse in a vacuum because, you know, they were a team that took so many three-pointers last year, they'll still be better shots and converting more efficiently because these players are just better, right? There would be better floor spaces around them in Strickland and, and Montgomery taking a lesser role kind of on the ball. So I think even if Courtney Williams takes a lot of tough two-point shots and Hayes continues maybe to not get it to the basket as well as she did the last few years uh, and settles more for mid-range, those are still shots that should convert at a better rate because the, the players around them are being guarded uh, more closely and, and they're not kind of surrounded by offensive liabilities. So I think there's a chance that their actual shot profile maybe gets worse because they were such a three-point heavy team last year, you know, even with the addition of Strickland. But I think they will still, you know, be able to kind of convert them at a better clip. It makes sense. And along those, along those lines, getting a little bit more specific, which new addition in particular are you most excited to watch on this team? Um, you know, for me, I think it is kind of more then one specific new addition that they have, it's, it's their uh, existing two kind of franchise players in Elizabeth Williams and Tiffany Hayes with better players around them. They were kind of in such dire straits in terms of having such to, to carry such a burden offensively last year with, with such limited offensive talent that I think seeing those two players in a better situation is going to be really enjoyable. You know, Tiffany Hayes is going to have more room to get to the basket. Elizabeth Williams will have more room to roll to the basket. The defense will be probably shored up a little bit just by virtue of the offense not being so dreadful. So I think more so than the specific players they brought in, just the talent upgrade around their kind of existing infrastructure is going to be really encouraging and fun to watch. All right. Is there anything else you really want to discuss regarding this uh, depth chart or the rotations? I mean, I think there there are still areas that they can struggle. You know, I, I don't think they're going to be a great passing team. I think defending point guards and pick and roll ball handlers could be a little bit of an issue there. You know, defending the biggest centers in the league 
you know, like I kind of mentioned before, in my opinion, Elizabeth Williams is a really good team defender and maybe a little bit overmatched in those areas. Maybe, you know, Gloria Johnson can provide a little bit of timely doubling there. But, you know, overall, I think they're they're going to be much better kind of, you know, firmly in the playoff spots. But there, there are definitely areas of concern still. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And, and regarding the depth chart, what I find interesting here is that while the Dream made a lot of big splashes in free agency, they still have some room on their roster. There's still a little bit of uncertainty toward the, towards the end of the bench there. Uh, Richard Cohen, WNBA alien of Her Hoop Stats, brought it up in his excellent uh, salary cap breakdown. The Dream have several positions still up for grabs. You know, I referred to the fifth post player, like the backup backup center. They drafted Brittany Brewer, who I really like, but they've also signed Elena Coates to a training camp contract. So they'll, they'll be battling it out over there. Um, on the wing, you've got someone in Alexis Jones, who was claimed off of waivers, not signed. So if she's claimed off of waivers, you got to think, as the worst team in the league last year, Atlanta really wanted her. So they might see something in her. But they also drafted a very versatile player out of Oregon State in Michaela Pivik. Um, and then backup point guard, do you want to carry three point guards? I know you like Maite Corzorla, but will there be enough minutes for her? You know, if, if Courtney Williams is running pick and rolls, if Tiffany Hayes is running pick and rolls, there is some flexibility there still. Well, I, I do like Kazorla kind of more of as a, an off-ball player. You know, she has, she did kind of handle the ball a lot. She was maybe more of a, an offensive initiator last year than, than I would be comfortable with her being. And she didn't really shoot the ball very well last year, but I really like the way the ball comes out of her hand. Um, I really like the way that she kind of moves without the basketball. She really kind of uses her teammates' bodies well around the perimeter to kind of find an open slot, you know, lose her defender when they may be less attentive. So I, I think she has a really nice floor game. I think the shot can fall a little bit more, but roster cuts got to come somewhere, I guess. They do. They do. So you, you like her complimentary game. I do. I think she could be a, a nice rotation player. You know, could definitely be wrong about that. You know, if the shot never falls, then then she really doesn't bring much for you. She is a, a decent passer, but I don't think she just has like enough kind of um, of a dynamic dribble penetration game to really warrant the possessions there. And I think she's kind of better as like a, a real like tertiary playmaker, maybe if anything. Interesting. Okay. But as a, as a third string point guard, you know, I, I think that's perfectly acceptable. Out of their, out of the other two positions, what do you think they need most as far as a backup wing and a backup, backup post? That's interesting. I think they kind of have enough from the big positions. You know, they got Elizabeth Williams, as we said, Kalani Brown seems like a shoe in to make the team. Gloria Johnson can give you spot minutes at the five. So I would lean more towards the perimeter option. But what do you think? Well, I mean, they, here's the thing. They have enough room for three additional players, right? So mm-hmm. if they keep Kazorla as a third-string point guard, you're probably looking at one more post player, right? So either Brittany Brewer or Elena Coates. As far as what the team needs, Brittany Brewer is a player who I think is a lot more skilled than her statistics might suggest. She, she moves okay. You know, she's a pretty good shot blocker, um, but she's very, uh, she's got a great touch around the rim, and she can maybe shoot. I don't think you'd call her a stretch five, but, you know, between her and Coates, I think Coates is more of a – offensive rebounding crash the glass type of player or as brewer is more skilled which which type of player do you think the atlanta dream should go with i mean i think even more so than kind of determining which fit would be better i think you just go with the the upside play we, we know what elena Coates is a real real kind of fringe WNBA rotation player so i think i would just go with Brittany brewer on the chance that that she kind of gives you something you might not see coming um okay. you, you mentioned that she's a little bit of a steal so i mean how do you feel about that position battle yeah, I really like Brittany Brewer. I think she would earn my endorsement, if you will, as the team's uh, fifth post player. Um, 
Yeah, and that's that's a great point. I mean, I guess when you're discussing fringe players, end of the bench players, you want to go with highest potential with best potential. Um, and we do know what Elena Coates is. Uh, she this is she was on three different teams in one season, so that's that probably doesn't bode well for her. But we'll see. We'll see. And then out of the group of Alexis Jones, Blake Dietrich, Michaela Pippick, and Kobe Thornton, uh, you know, again, Alexis Jones is a player who, you know, this is her third WNBA team, I believe, and she hasn't really shown much. You know, whereas someone like Michaela Pivik coming in out of Oregon State had a very, very good college career and can do a little bit of everything for you. She can score a little bit. She's, she's a great outside shooter, and she can do a little bit of ball handling. Um, she's got a great nose for the basketball as far as rebounding is concerned. I, would, I have some questions about her athleticism translating, but as a player who can come in off the bench and do maybe a little bit of everything, I think maybe that's someone who would like to see the dream take. But again, it's up in the air. And that's, that's why I brought this, brought this question up. Like, the dream have had so many changes and without a doubt have upgraded their talent across the board. But there are still spots to be earned in training camp. With the new CBA, that's not the case for all these teams, but the Dream can still afford to have 12 players. So by all means, it's going to be a very interesting job opening and training camp for them. Yeah, absolutely. I'm uh, interested to see which way they go. As am I. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to mention regarding the Atlanta Dream? Uh, I think we're good. If you're good, then I'm good. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the content. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, feedback, you can hit us up on Twitter at Nemchak E or at Trinkwald. Stay tuned for the upcoming episode where we're going to be discussing the Chicago Sky in a similar format. Stephen, anything else you'd like to add? Please rate and review us on iTunes. Please rate and review. Five stars if necessary. All right. Thank you so much, everybody.